So pages 9 and 10 in the service folder is where we are. For those of you who have pens in your hand, for those of you who like to take notes, here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to give six points that the original listeners to Paul's letter, they just would have known these things because that's the stuff they knew. They, some of them were Jews or they had Jewish neighbors. Who of us has a Jewish friend or acquaintance or neighbor? Okay, awesome. So, awesome. At least there's a couple of us who have some little touchstones with the, with the Jewishness. So there's a couple of things, and again, Jews would just know these things, and you just say a word, and they just know these things. Um, the Roman culture, of course, is another thing, and we're going to talk about a, couple, about a couple of those things. And then we're also going to talk about Greek philosophy, because 2,000 years ago, as Paul is writing to a group in Colossae, modern-day Western Turkey, they clearly were heirs of Greek civilization, right? The Romans were heirs that took over the Greeks and just switched the, the Greek gods' names. It's kind of a funny deal, right? This is, so they knew a little bit of Greek philosophy, which, again, as heirs of the Western civilization, we Americans kind of do, but frankly... Our education these days is kind of trying to take that away. It's an interesting thing about education. Um, and what else? There? Oh, uh, along with the Roman business, there's a few military references um, that I'll bet even our Air Force Academy cadets. Is that the right word? Did I say cadets? That's Navy cadets. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll bet they don't even know these things about Roman military um, Procedure. So the first thing, um, in the first verse, chapter uh, Colossians chapter 2, a letter, as I said, to a little group in a little house church. They wouldn't meet in big buildings like this. They met in little house churches. And they'd read, oh, we got a letter from, Saint, from the Apostle Paul today. And then they'd read it. So here's the first thing he says. As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives. You don't quite hear what Paul actually wrote when he wrote. When Paul wrote, did he write in English 2,000 years ago? No. Did he write in Spanish? No. What did he write in? He wrote in the Greek language, and the Greek language that he used there to talk about continue to live is peripateo, which means walk around. Continue to walk around like Aristotle and some of the other philosophers did. They were peripatetics. Maybe some of you heard this kind of thing before. They were the kinds of philosophers who had their disciples walking around behind them all the time. That's just, so that's just one of those illusions that St. Paul was referring to. He's saying, you know, we all know these peripatetics, these philosophers. They all have a way of life. And he says, you guys have a way of life. That's really, we're going to, we'll, we'll tie this all together, I hope, and pray later. Second thing, um, verse 8, he says, See to it no one, that no one takes you captive through, through philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. It's really stoikaya. It's the, it's the main things the main thoughts, the big thoughts of the cosmos. 
The cosmos is bigger than the planet. It's bigger than the galaxy. It's bigger than all of the galaxies, of which there are billions of galaxies, each of which has billions of stars. What, what are the main elements, the main structural things that are about human existence? Do we think about those things anymore, or do we just fight to get our way? It's, it's an, we're supposed to be thinking about those things when we do higher ed these days. Um, don't be captive to those elemental thoughts, St. Paul says. I got a bigger thought, a bigger idea, a bigger philosophy, truth than that. And he'll say what it is. Um, a third thing I got to say, go back to the first verse 6. As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, as Lord, again, there's a word that if you were a Hebrew in your background, or if you were a Roman in your background, you go, what? Christ Jesus is Lord? Because there would be two others that were called Lord 2,000 years ago. And if you were a Jew, you'd go, whoa, you're equating Jesus with that name that shall not be named? Those of us who have Jewish friends in the synagogue, when they read the Hebrew Old Testament, they come across this, speci this special name for God. It's so special it has a name, the four-letter name, the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name. It's the name that God gave to Moses out of the burning bush. Remember? Moses, go get my people out. He says, ah, I'm scared, whatever. And then finally he says, when they ask me, though, What's the name of my God, the one who's leading you, telling you, Moses, to lead us out of Egypt and go to the promised land? What's, what's his name? What's your name, Moses says. And what does God say? Tell them, I am sent you. And if you start to understand what that name means, then you win the prize. That's the rock upon which philosophers' heads crack open. What is the meaning of existence? And here we have a God who lets himself, who calls himself by that name and then gives it to Moses for the history of the, the relationship between the Lord whose name is this awesome name and often in our Bibles it's capitalized all the way across. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This huge name for God that stands for a huge God that not a one of us can even start to understand. There's more of this God that we don't know than that we do know. That's why it's so awesome when he does give us a little bit, he opens up the curtain. So when St. Paul says, when you received Christ Jesus as Lord, holy cow, my Jewish grandpa and grandma, my Jewish mom and dad would go, whoa! Jesus is equated with that name. Remember, the name wouldn't even be named in Jesus' day. And that he's the one who said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus, a teacher, flesh and blood creature that they could punch in the face and spit on, and the one who eventually died. Big, this big, huge God, that's the central claim. And if you're a Jew, a Hebrew, you go, oh my God goodness. So there, because there's a competing claim. 
The Jews would say, that's the God whose name we shall not name, and they wouldn't name, except that once a year the high priest would go into the temple, and that's the only time he was the only one who would say that name. And then there was another one who would claim that name, and guess who it is? It's the big dog in the Roman world, Caesar. On the coins, there it is, Soter and Curious, Savior and Lord. Caesar, the most powerful man on the planet, the one who could press the red button to nuke the whole world in those days, the equivalent. Caesar is Lord and Savior. So if you are going to say, as St. Paul writes to you, in your little house church there in Colossae, western Turkey, and you say you received Christ Jesus as Lord, that immediately pits you against the Hebrew claims, the Jewish claims of who God is, and it pits you against, or pits that God against, who the Romans think is in charge. It makes us think, doesn't it? This is the big question of this whole text. Where is the deity? Where is God? Where is the one whose name shall not be named? Where do we find him? Is, can we know God? The humans think about these things sometimes. Where do we know him? And the central assertion of Christian teaching is right there where the baby Jesus, baby of Mary, was born and nursed at her breast. Boy, that's a picture of weakness. That one, that fleshy one, not faking like he's fleshy, not pretending to be a human. There he is. That is God. That fleshiness of God was offensive 2,000 years ago, and it continues to be offensive today. And I have to talk about it because your pastor gave me this text to talk about, so we have to talk about circumcision. Talk about fleshiness. Talk about it with the kids at home, right? It's that excess piece of skin on the male member. It was a part of the life of God's people. They made a deal with the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. He said, I'm your God and you're my people. And here's the sign. Here's the sign of the covenant, the sign of the deal, circumcision. On the eighth day, every single time the man who's clearly responsible for his whole family in a way that was palpable and understandable by everybody, arguably more so than in today's um, world, the man, every day he would do his duty out there, he'd be thinking, whose am I? You couldn't not think about it. And he'd have to think about the promise. Remember that very, the very first promise in the Bible? Through a seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head and at the same time, you serpent, you'll have your, your, your head will be crushed but his, his heel will be bruised. That's the one. Seed. You're thinking about seed. You're thinking about fleshiness. This whole circumcision thing, you can't avoid it in the Hebrew thing. Our, our Hebrew forefathers in the faith thought about the fleshiness of the promise of God all the time. And then along comes eventually the fleshy Jesus. Paul will talk about a circumcision that's of more than just flesh. That's, that's localized in Jesus. And the last thing i got to say before we read this, finally, and then pr preach on it, 
is these two military references. At the very start, um, where are we here? Dragged away. Oh, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. Again, when, when um, St. Paul wrote this, he really is saying dragged you away like military booty. You get defeated in an in, army conquest, and then the booty just gets dragged off. Don't you get dragged off by this thinking of the world, these elemental forces of the world, other than Jesus. So that's one military reference. They'd, they'd hear that right away. Don't be dragged away like military booty. And then the last thing uh, is verse 15. And having, trans, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, that's a pretty, it's a pretty picture, but again, in their minds, they would be immediately thinking of a military parade. In a way that, have you seen a military parade even here in Colorado Springs? Trump, Trump got crucified for wanting to have a military parade. We just don't tend to do them so much anymore, but man alive was it a big deal. When Rome, on one of their conquests, would win the battle, there would be a triumph, a, a, a process a processing, a triumphal procession on the way back. The victorious conquerors up front, and what's at the end of the procession? The slaves who just got subjugated. Public humiliation, dragging them away. And sometimes there then would be executions at the end of the, of the military procession. It's really rich, what St. Paul is alluding to. Now we have to think about some of that. So now let me read this, and then we're going to talk um, so then, St. Paul writes, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Keep walking around in Him. Rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive, drags you away, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For, here's the big one, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives, present tense, in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. There's our theme for worship this week. Jesus is everything for you too. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. So I get to say to you, in the name of the Lord God, 
And that's that big name for God. I get to say to you, and it's a big claim. I'm not standing in front of you claiming to speak in the name of your governor. I, don't, I forgot the name of the governor of Colorado. That's okay, I'll forget it. I, I'm getting deaf so I can't hear you when you're trying to help me out. I'm not standing in front of you claiming to speak in the name of the President of the United States. I'm making a claim to say I'm speaking in the name of the living God. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The same one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, the same one who led the folks to the promised land, the same one who guided all of history then as he does now, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, he guides it all, including the hairs on your head still as they fall. As the leaf out there in the forest rustles, seriously, the claim here, the assertion here, this is a big God, not the little buddy guy that so many of us are tempted by those around us who try to speak in the name of Jesus. He's a buddy God, and we put him in our pocket and pull him out when we want to. This, this, this God cannot be put in the pocket. This one, I say to you, on the basis of what happened in the past, in the fleshy God that is Jesus, who revealed himself to be Savior, in him, that's the one I say to you, keep on keeping on. Keep on walking around. Continue to live in the present because the same Lord God who was God from the start, who spoke it all into being with what? Merely his word, who was present through the Logos, through the word that then put on flesh, that's Jesus, through him, through whom and for whom and in him everything still holds together, that's Jesus, that's the one in whom you still presently live. Some things happened in Jesus and they have continuing results even now and even in your life now and even as you continue to be a son or a daughter or a father or a mother or a parent of those struggling kids or a neighbor to the woman over there who's lost hope. What's it all about? What about the elemental structures of the universe? Why am I here? They wonder. And when they don't know, because we are so small compared to this big world cosmos out there, then they wonder even more. And they have nowhere to go other than the black hole of their own ideas about God. In the name of the Lord God who lives, I say to you, and you get to say to others, continue to live in Him. Not the nameless, faceless, generic G-O-D, but the God who revealed Himself in the flesh of Jesus the Christ, the Jew, who's more than just Jesus the Christ, the Jew, who's also God with us, God who put on flesh, Man, that was hard for them 2,000 years ago. And then you heard it today, if you're thinking along and you're trying to think along with your skeptic neighbor, when you heard that Bible passage, Romans 6, buried, really? Baptism buried me with Jesus? He didn't say symbolized being buried with Jesus. 
It says you were buried. You somehow were connected across 2,000 years to be with that Jesus. That's the promise of holy baptism. It's a promise, and when God says a promise, he does not lie. And so you, something happened in the past with continuing results in the present. Continue to keep on keeping on as cancer hits you, as for some reason your daughter dies before she should, as for some reason something happens and it makes you wonder and makes you go back to the substrate, which is always the substrate of the, of the human's fear. What's going on? Why? I don't know and I'm afraid. I get to say to you, and you don't care about my authority at all and you shouldn't, but in the name of God, and check it out. Is this a faithful promise from God I get to say to you? Continue to live in Him. You've been rooted in Him. This is the promise of God. You've been strengthened in Him, and you've been equipped in Him for the rest of your days, as many days as this omnipotent, huge God, who's way bigger than any of us, and all of us put together, you can, for each of the days he continues to give to you, you have a rock, the rock, that is Jesus Christ. You know the end of the story. You have a home in heaven. And so we do, truly, here that St. Paul says elsewhere, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms even now. I have a foot in heaven. Yes, I do. But the Lord Jesus has chosen in his omnipotent power and his grace and love for others left me another foot right down here next to my spouse, if that's the case, next to my kids, next to my neighbors. And what's the point? Ah, I get to live for him in faith and I get to live for them in love. It's all done here in Jesus. This is the remarkable promise in Colossians 2. It's all done. It's all perfect with God. No needing for any of you to be athletic superheroes climbing into the throne room of God and somehow impressing him with how holy and spiritual you are. Stop it. Jesus came down to do that. But we have a life to live, don't we? We have walking about to do, the peripateoing to do. We got, we got li li life to live. We got neighbors to love. We got neighbors to commit to for their good. We got hope to give, a sure foundation to give, to tell them they are made whole according to the promise of God in one person, one place, Jesus Christ, all is well, even here until eternity. I often think, this stuff is ridiculous. Who else talks this way? Think about it, brothers and sisters in Christ. Who talks this way? St. Paul clearly is. I'm just telling you what he's telling us. The world needs to hear this because according to the revelation of God, this is not something people just get with their morning breakfast. This is not something they get when they go out to the woods and go, what's it all about? According to the promise of God, it needs to be spoken. 
into their ears, and somehow that, by the Spirit's work, reaches their hearts when the Spirit wills, and, how he, and when, where and when He wills. We have no control over that, but we do have control over our eyes to see the needs of the neighbor who I get to serve. We do have control over our ears to hear the fear underneath that statement, or the fear underneath a statement that won't even talk to me because they're afraid to talk to me. So you can see the needs around us. And God give you the sure and certainty, the sureness and certainty that says, even I, halting clay pot that I am, can't say nothing for nothing, can't string words together. Even I can give that one hope. In Jesus Christ, I can. In Jesus Christ, who, in whom all of the fullness of the deity, that massive God, there it is, and it still is. Did you hear the present tense? It continues to dwell. For in Christ, verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives, still does. Jesus isn't just dead in the grave. He lives and serves at the right hand of God, guiding it all. Who's in charge? The Russians? The Americans? You tell me. It doesn't matter. The Lord Jesus is in charge, guiding all things for the glory of His name, for the good of you, and for the good of anybody who hears about this Christ who makes us whole. God bless you as you go about living and loving those next to you solid in the rock and the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Amen.